Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Heck yeah, it's time for me. I was trying to get a hold Thank of the... You calling God. Your call is very important to him. If you are calling for salvation, please press 1. If you are calling regarding a prayer request, please press 2. For all other inquiries, please press 3. Thank you. You are caller number 3,265,400,000. You've got to be kidding me. Your estimated wait time is 15 years, 227 days, 3 hours, and 22 minutes. Please stay on the line. Your call is very important. Better off just talking to myself. everyone. Yeah. It's great to be here. My name's Darren Whitehead, and uh, I bring you greetings from uh, my home church, Willow Creek Community Church, and from Bill Hybels. Uh, it is so great to be with you here at Northridge. In fact, your pastor, Brad, was with us about uh, three weeks ago, and we had our big outdoor baptism service, and uh, just as everyone was getting ready to get baptized, Brad came and prayed a prayer over everyone, and so he was with us, and now I am with you. It is only fair, and uh, we feel like we're kind of in this together. So, so glad to be with you. Now, uh, you're probably noticing right now that uh, I am obviously born and raised in Chicago. That is, uh, that is particularly obvious, yeah. Uh, 
That is not true. I'm actually from uh, the other side of the world, uh, an island. It's actually the largest island on the planet. It's this place called Australia. Yeah, one person's excited about that. Yeah, thanks. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I've been living in the U.S. in your wonderful country for 14 years. Uh, I married an American girl 10 years ago because I was about to get deported, and. Um, <laughs> We fell in love too, so that all worked out. Uh, I actually have three half-Australian, half-American little girls. Uh, I have a six-year-old named Sydney. Um, that, that is her name. Yeah, Sydney. That wasn't a joke. Thanks for laughing at my kid. Um, I understand that it would be like you calling your daughter Detroit, right? I, I get that. But it, but it works for us, all right? Uh, so Sydney is six, uh, Scarlett is three, or you might say Scarlett, um, and then we have a one-year-old named Violet. Now, my, uh, my, my wife is from Nashville, Tennessee, so I, I married a southern girl, and uh, when you have one parent, a, a, a mum from the south, and you have a dad from Australia, it's quite a mix, right, for my little kids. Like, like for example, my little girls say, g'day, y'all. So pray for them. I think they're a little confused, and uh, I'm sure it'll all work out easily in their teenage years. Uh, That that should be easy to do. Uh, I'm so glad to be a part of uh, this series called Unforgettable, and I hope it is an unforgettable series. Someone said something to me that was really unforgettable several years ago. They asked me what my life verse was, and I said, what's a life verse? And they said, well, a life verse is essentially a a verse or a small passage of Scripture that you say, you kind of adopt as your own, and you say, this is mine. And I want my life to be synonymous with the values or with the vision that is inside this verse. And I thought, well, I'm a preacher, so I probably should have a life verse, you know? I mean, this would be something I should do. How many of you would say you have a life verse, a verse that is kind of That's great. So a lot of you do, and a lot of you don't. So maybe over the summer, you would actually choose a verse that you would say, this is going to be something for me or my family. This is who we want to be. This is the kind of person. I want this to inspire me, give me energy, to bolster me, to be the kind of person that that I want to be. So I decided that the verse that I would, uh, I would, I started praying about this, and I decided that the verse that I wanted to choose to be my life verse was a verse that kind of has, has surfaced itself throughout my entire life. In fact, throughout my teenage years, uh, this verse was particularly relevant to me. This is a, a verse in the Old Testament in a little-known book, a little-known prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Now, some of you, uh, I'm, I'm trying to help you right now because at some point when you get to heaven, Habakkuk is going to come up to you and he's going to say, so what did you think of my book? And you're going to have no idea what to say yet for this sermon. You probably have not heard a plethora of sermons on the book of Habakkuk. So I'm going to be giving you this one. You can say, I really liked chapter 3. Thanks, Habakkuk, you know. So chapter 3, verse 2 in the book of Habakkuk. Some people say Habakkuk. It depends on what side of the equator you were born. But uh, I, want to, I want to read this verse to you. And then I just want to sort of break down for you why this has become my life verse. Here we go. Lord... I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. 
In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, when I was a teenager, I grew up in a, in a small church in a small country town on the bottom end of Australia, almost the southernmost point of the mainland of Australia. We're in a church of about 100 people, and uh, this verse captured the angst of my soul. You see, I would go along to church, and I would look around at the people that were, you know, singing songs and that kind of stuff, and I was just completely underwhelmed with their expression of faith, their enthusiasm, and their experience of God. I mean, they would be singing, I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart. We're like, where? I'm like, you've got the joy down in your heart? Can you tell your face? I mean, people would be singing all these different songs and they'd be listening to the preacher talk about all these prolific things in the Bible. And no one was expecting it to really actually happen in their church or in the life or in the city. So, the, the, you know, the, the, the pastor would be talking about in the Old Testament, God would show up with just this unmistakable power. He would completely change people's lives. Fire would come from heaven at times. The, the, the Red Sea was split open and people were set free. There were eyes that were opened, people who were blind. 5,000 people were fed on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. There were all of these amazing things in the Bible, and yet it was universally believed that God's not going to really do anything dynamic in our lives. No one was expecting God to show up at church. So we just sort of sing these songs and then we'd live our ordinary lives and we'd go back to work the next day on Monday. I mean, it was just monotony. And our church was filled with bored, underwhelmed, uninspired people. And I just looked around and I thought, is this it? Is this the kind of life that God has in mind for us? I mean, I'm just a teenager looking around at other people who've been walking with Jesus for decades, and I'm thinking, is this the full expression of someone walking in the kingdom of God? Is this what it's supposed to look like? And I became quite disillusioned. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, is this all there is? Like Habakkuk, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds but I don't really see it. I don't really see it in my life. So when I graduated from high school, I moved away to the nearest large city. It was about five hours drive. This is the city of Adelaide. And I just went around from church to church to church to try to find a group of people who actually believed what they sung about, or they actually believed what was preached about. And honestly, I, I was really disappointed. It was really more of exactly the same. It was sort of more of the same stuff, and I was just really disappointed. So I just stopped going to church after a while. So then one day, someone invites me along to this church, and uh, it was about 200, it was a youth group, and it was about 200 teenagers that were worshiping together, and they, they, they brought me in, and I, I looked around, and I was absolutely captivated by what I saw. 200 teenagers were singing like their lives depended on it. And when they weren't singing, 
They were having times of prayer. Or they were trying to reach people with the gospel. Or they were giving their money. And they were trying to serve people who, who had so much less than them. And I thought, these people are actually living this out. I've never seen anything like this. So I started at times going in someone's house and we just sort of had prayer times together. While other teenagers would be watching TV, we would gather together and we'd pray. I mean, it sounds weird, doesn't it? And some guy would, would bring a guitar and he knew four chords. And fortunately, you can play every single Christian song with four chords. <laughs> so that all worked out as well. Sometimes we would get up early and we would go to the, the, the top of it. There was a hill on the edge of our city and you could overlook the entire city. And we'd watch the sun coming up and we would pray for an open heaven above our city. We would pray that God would rain down his presence and his power, that the kingdom of God would come to our city, to our schools, to our businesses, to our churches, that God would do something unprecedented in our city. Sometimes when I was up on that hill and I was praying, I would think about what does God see when he looks at the world? You know, he looks at all the different continents of the world and the different races and the different people groups and the different lifestyles and cultures. What does God see? What is the plan that God has for the planet? And I started to think about the United States. I started to think about the kind of the unique role that the United States has. I would think about the fact that the media and education and economics and global brands and technology would all flow out of the US to the rest of the world. So much of what is global culture emanates out of America. And I thought to myself, if God would do something unprecedented in the United States, it would echo around the world. And I thought, I would just love to see that. I started to think about being in the, in the center of what God could be doing on the planet. So I was working as an advertising executive at a radio station, and I went to see my boss, who's a Christian, and I said, I have this sense that maybe God is calling me to live in America. And he goes, well, what makes you think that? I said, I don't know, but when I pray, I think about stars and stripes, you know, like I think about going to the U.S. And he said, well, do you have a job in the U.S.? And I said, no. He said, do you have a place to stay? And I said, no. He said, do you have enough money to get over there? I said, no. He said, do you have a work permit? You need one of those, you know, to work in the U.S. Do you have one of those? I said, no. He said, well, it doesn't really look like God is leading you that way. And I said, without even thinking, I just said, well, maybe I'm supposed to, like, walk on water like Peter did, you know? He goes, like, across the Pacific? I'm like, no, 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 not, not literally. I mean, figuratively, maybe I'm supposed to take a step of faith. Maybe I'm supposed to, like... You know, leave where I am and just go and just head that way. And he goes, well, maybe. So that night I was doing my devotions and I was reading uh, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. You guys have probably seen that. I opened it up to that day. Matthew 14 was the, the verse that day. It says this, and Peter walked on the water. <laughs> so I highlighted it up and I underlined it and I took it back in the next day and I showed it to my boss and I said, look at this. And he goes, maybe God really is leading you that way. I don't know. Over the next three to four weeks, someone called and offered me a job. Then someone called and said, uh, if you need money to get to the US, we will finance you getting there. 
Then a family called me and said, we have a, a little room in our basement. If you'd like to live there for free, you'd be welcome to live there. And then I called the U.S. Um, consulate, the U.S. embassy in Melbourne, which is about seven hours drive from Adelaide. And I asked them about applying for a work visa. And they asked me a few questions and, uh, and I told them, and this is the kind of thing I want to do and all that. And they said, yeah, you're not eligible for this kind of work visa. I said, I'm, I'm not. And they said, no, 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 you don't qualify for this kind of work visa. And I said, well, can I apply for it anyway? And they said, well, there's really no point, but uh, if you want, I guess you can apply for it, sure. So I put together, filled out the forms, put together my package and sent my passport over. Then I said goodbye to my family. I packed up all of my possessions into two bags and I flew over to Melbourne. And I said, I'm going to America. So I went into the American embassy. Uh, This was about five days after I had filed my application for this thing. And I went in and I said, hey, you know, my name's Darren Whitehead. I have a a visa that that is pending right now. And they said, can we see some ID, please? And I showed them my ID. And then they handed me something. And I took a step back. And I opened it up. And I had a work visa, one that I didn't qualify for. I decided not to say, do you know I don't qualify for this particular visa? You know? I almost ran out of there. And as I stood outside of the embassy and I I just looked at this thing, I thought, Lord, I have heard of your fame. Stand in awe of your deeds. But I am now seeing some unexplainable things in my life. I am actually starting to close this gap between what I hear about and what I actually experience. So I jumped on a plane and came to the US and I moved in with this family. Now they knew very little about me, but they had decorated this little room for me in the basement. It was really sweet. And then they painted it and they'd hung two pictures. And when I walked in, one picture was an abstract picture of a man dancing on water's surface. And the other one was a picture of a man wearing a suit walking on water. And I thought to myself, I am entering a story that I am not writing. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And I was starting to experience the reality of God in my life. Habakkuk 3 verse 2 is my life verse. Because it is what I want my life to be about. Habakkuk begins by saying, Lord, I have heard of your fame. We know a lot about fame in our culture, don't we? When, when, when you go to the grocery store and you stand in line, you are visually assaulted by fame. I mean, there are all of these different magazine covers. Who's lost 10 pounds? Who's gained 10 pounds? Who's marrying who? Who left who? Who cares? You know? I mean, really. But these people's names are mentioned. You know about some of their stories. You know about some of the different circumstances of their lives. These people have fame. A few months ago, Forbes compiled the list of the most famous people in the world. This was an index of both uh, visually, their, their, their visual presence which was print and TV and online, and then also their earnings. 
and they came up with uh, the 100 most famous people in the world. I'll tell you the top 10 most famous people in the world today. This is kind of interesting. Number 10 is LeBron James. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. He, uh, he just got a ring, good for him. All right, number nine, Simon Cowell. Really? Most famous guy? Boo indeed. Yeah, number eight, Bon Jovi. Still living on a prayer, can you believe that? Yeah. Number seven, Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, okay. Number six, Tiger Woods, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Number five, Elton John. He's still standing, how about that? Uh, Number four, Bono, every Christian's favorite rock star. No surprise about this one. Number three, Justin Bieber. Yeah. Bieber fever indeed. Okay, uh, number two was the sort of the former number one. It's the Chicago homegirl, Oprah. When you're known by one name, then you've really made it to being famous. And then the, the number one most famous person in all of the world right now, we should be proud of the era that we live in. This is Lady Gaga. Yeah, oh, don't blame her. She was born this way, okay? That's, that's her thing. But you have heard of this fame. You've heard of the fame of these people. The problem is that fame is toxic to the human soul. Fame and adoration that is directed towards other people actually damages them. And sadly, we're going to see the next round of Disney stars, child stars, Uh, The young man who shows a lot of promise and a young girl who shows a lot of character. And what's going to happen? We've seen this happen over and over again. What's going to happen? They rise to a level of stardom and the fame, the adoration that comes from other people brings about toxicity in their relationships and in their lives. Things get complicated and things get distorted. And ultimately, fame ruins people's lives. Fame and adoration was not meant to be directed towards other people. And when you do that, it actually ruins them. Habakkuk spoke of unparalleled, incomparable fame. This is the fame of the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one who spoke the universe into being. And God actually cares about his fame. Psalm 86 verse 9 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. The word glory is kind of a Christian word. The word glory actually means weight or heavy. This is the idea that God's name is infinitely heavier, infinitely more valuable than any other name anything else. It's more important. It's more significant. It's more imperative. It's more substantial. It is more weighty than any other name. Psalm 8 says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 96 says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. 
Psalm 105 says, Give praise to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. His fame. Habakkuk 3 verse 2 is my life verse. Because when I am tempted to make my life all about me, I am reminded that this is all about God. The movie is about God. The story is about God. It is starring God. He is the lead. We are supporting Him, pointing to Him. It's all about Him. It is for Him. It is for His fame. That is what our life is about. Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. This essentially is who God is and what God does. I stand in awe. This is a standing ovation for God. I remember a few years ago seeing a standing ovation for God. Standing in awe of the deeds of God. There's a girl who grew up at Willow named Rachel. And she too was wrestling with the, Lord, I've heard about a bunch of stuff that you've done, but I'm not really experiencing it in my life. And she was a professional makeup artist. She worked uh, downtown Chicago. She was doing makeup for celebrities and for models before they had photo shoots and film shoots and that kind of stuff. She'd really been very successful in her career. So someone invites her to go to South America on a mission trip for a month. So she goes down, and uh, she goes with a small group of ladies from our church, and they start working with women who were trapped in uh, the sex trade, in, in prostitution. And they had no other alternatives in how they could actually get out of the industry that they were in. So these ladies came and taught them new life skills, taught them how to do makeup professionally, taught, taught them how to do a whole number of other different Alternatives so that they would be able to actually break out of the sex industry. And Rachel would say, like, I, I had never experienced anything like I experienced down there. The power and the, and the presence of God, the potency and the reality of the Spirit of God in these people's lives and in what we were doing, it just felt like the kingdom of God was coming when I was doing this work. And when she came back to Chicago, she said, I just can't go back to living the same kind of life, doing the same kind of thing that I was doing. I've got to find the same level of people who are in need as I found there. So this is kind of crazy. You know what she did? She went to a strip club and she befriended some of the strippers and she asked if she could serve them by doing their makeup before they went and, and performed. So backstage, she started to serve these ladies now, they all knew that she was a Christian. She sometimes, get this, she sometimes would have worship music playing backstage in the background before the ladies went out to do their work. That kind of messes with your theology a little bit, doesn't it? So she started handing out sermon CDs from our church to these strippers. And these girls would go and listen to them. There was one girl named Angela who'd been a stripper there for several years, she listened to a sermon. She came back and said, that was amazing. Do you have any more? And Rachel said, actually, I do. And she pulled out a box filled with sermon CDs. I've seen the box. She, and she said, here, take this. Angela said, great. She took it home. Over the next three days, she listened to every single sermon in the box. 
Then she came back and she said, I have never heard anything like what is being preached at your church. It's just incredible. And Rachel said, you should come to our church. And Angela said, would I even be allowed to come to your church? She said, of course you would. So Rachel brought Angela along. She told me they were coming and I met them in the lobby. And we sat down at a, at a table together. And Angela looked at me and she said, so you're a pastor, are you? And I said, yeah. She said, do you know what I do? I said, yes, Angela, I know what you do. She said, Rachel tells me that God loves me. And that he can forgive me for the way that I've been living my life and offer me a whole new life, a whole new start. Before I even got to respond to her, she was wearing these uh, long eyelashes, false eyelashes, right? And I just watched and these little tears were welling up in her eyes and these tears crawled over the edge of these long eyelashes and started dripping. I'll never forget it. And she started to cry and Rachel started to cry and I started to cry. It's a moment that I'll never forget of just this intersection of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and how he cleanses and how he restores broken lives. And I said, Angela, yes, Jesus loves you and he offers you forgiveness. Angela gave her life to Jesus. And a few weeks later, I got to baptize Angela up on the stage. The front two rows of our church were filled with strippers. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. There are a couple of guys in the house going, I love this church. <laughs> People knew a little bit of Angela's story, and as she came up out of the waters, I thought, this is the grace of God. And the place stood to their feet, and they applauded. It was a standing ovation for what? For the deeds of God. This is what God does. When I read Habakkuk, I stand in awe of your deeds. I think about Angela and the magnificent transformation in her and a church, the people of God, standing together in unison in awe to applaud for what God does in someone's life. This prayer of Habakkuk goes on. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Now, this is my life verse because it reminds me to ask God, to ask God to do what he does, to do what he has done in our lifetime, in our generation, in this country, like, do something today, God. May we not go to our graves having had a bored, uninspired, monotonous ex experience of the Christian life. But in this time in history, may we pray the kingdom of God and the fullness of the outworking of the power of the Spirit of God into our generation. May we pray that God would do something unprecedented in our day. 
James 4 verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Can that even be possible? Why don't we ask? I think it could be because we're very self-sufficient in this country. I mean, we have just about everything that we need, and when we are in need, our first instinct is not to go to God and ask. Our first instinct is to solve the problem with the resources that we are surrounded with. When I first moved to the U.S., I had never seen so much wealth in all my life, and in all kinds of ways that you're unaware. My my brother visited me from Australia a couple of years ago, and uh, we were at a restaurant. We both ordered a Coke, right? He ordered a Coke, I ordered a Coke. During our meal, I drank six Cokes, he drank one. Right at the end, the waiter came and and, and gave us the check. My brother looks at it and goes, listen, you've made a mistake here. Uh, My brother had six Cokes, I counted them, it was obnoxious, and you've only charged him for one. And the waiter goes, no, 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 it's, it's okay. And I looked at my brother and I said, no, no, in America, it's free refills. He goes, free refills? God bless America! I mean, you don't even know what you have. The first time I ever went to see a movie in America, the first time, I was with a bunch of Americans. I went in. They said, do you want some popcorn and a drink? I said, sure. So I went up, and, uh, and I said, you know, I have some popcorn, thanks. And they said, uh, what size? And I said, I don't know. Give me the big size you've got. <laughs> they hand me this 22-pound bag of popcorn. I thought, like, are there hidden cameras on me right now? Then they said, do you want a drink? And I said, sure. And they said, what size? And I said, just give me the biggest size you've got. Every other country in the world, you need to know this, my American friends, every other country in the world has small, medium, and large. Not in America. Now, you guys begin with large. Large is the new small in the USA. You begin with large, then it's extra large, then it's extra, extra large, and then it's the supersized Mega Max Thirst Crusher. I didn't know whether to drink it or to bathe in it. I'm walking away with this thing, right? And they said, oh, sir, there's one other thing you need to know about that size. We offer free refills. Yeah, I'm thinking, how long's the movie? A month? And the other crazy thing is that you look at the top of the drink looks like a swimming pool and the bottom is nice and small so you can still get it in your cup holder. God bless America! I had never seen this kind of wealth. And I remember thinking, America is a spiritually dangerous place to live. We're surrounded by comfort Surrounded by wealth, it's a dangerous place to live spiritually. And our first instinct when we need something is not to ask and to ask God. But asking is a reoccurring theme all throughout the Bible. Psalm 2, verse 8 says, Ask me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. John 15 says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
John 15 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This, this ask, 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 ask thing comes up over and over and over again. This also implies if you don't ask, you don't receive. If you don't seek, you don't find. And if you don't knock, the doors don't open. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Billy Graham once said famously, Heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one bothered to ask. F.B. Meyer says, The great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Ever thought about this? Like maybe there is this kingdom currency that God is just waiting to pour out on you on your life and on your family and on your church and on your workplace or on your school or wherever you are in whatever circumstance that you are in. But you do not receive because you do not ask. These are the words of James. Maybe God is just waiting to pour out this blessing on your life, but you never get around to actually asking Him. Our Students at, my, at, at Willow, at my church, uh, are away on a camp this weekend. And I did youth ministry for 10 years. And when I was doing youth ministry, when I got back from camp, I was so incredibly exhausted and so relieved that no one died. You know? And I would just like, you know, all of these kids under your care and teenagers, you know, and I just wanted to go to all of these parents, here, they're yours again, you know? And I would wait until uh, the last bus left and the last kid was picked up and we gathered up all of the leftover sleeping bags and put them into storage. And I would just be so glad it was over. There was this one camp that I, uh, we were all done. I jumped in my car and I drove home. My family wasn't home this weekend. They had gone out of town. And, uh, and I just was so excited about collapsing in my bed So I got home, it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, I ran upstairs and I jumped in my bed and I started laughing because I was so glad I was in bed. And I instantly fell asleep. Total exhaustion. Short time later, I woke up, I was hungry, felt like some dinner. So I went downstairs. Went down into my kitchen, opened up my fridge. You know, looked, it was 6.30, I'm like, great, you know, I'm gonna make myself some dinner. Then I noticed something. It was unusually quiet in my house. So then I walked out to the front of my house and I looked out at my street and it was absolutely silent on my street. There were no cars. I couldn't hear any cars. There were no people coming and going. It was absolutely silent. You know what I thought? Kurt Cameron was right. I missed the rapture. Oh, you've had that thought before too, come on. I'm like, what is going on? There are no other human beings here. So I went back into my kitchen and I'm like, I'm just trying to make some dinner. I look up at my microwave again, it's 6.30, but not 6.30 p.m., 6.30 a.m. I was so exhausted, I thought I'd slept for three hours, I had slept for 15 hours. I was making dinner and I should have been making breakfast. I thought the day was ending when the day was actually just beginning. 
What if the greatest days of the church are just beginning? What if we're actually misperceiving what is going on? Some of us hear discouraging stories and they look at, you know, how young people are not as interested in things of faith anymore. What if we're misperceiving the times and it is not actually ending, but it is just getting started? What if the greatest days of the church are still to come? What if God is, is doing something brand new? What if the church, like never before, would start to ask and seek and knock for the fame and the deeds of God to be renewed and known in our day, in our time. Habakkuk 3, verse 2 is my life verse because it reminds me that God has so much more. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Would you just quietly stand? I'm going to pray in just a second. And I want to encourage you, if you would say, you know what, I have not been asking for the fullness of what God has for me, for my life, for my calling, for the way I'm supposed to be experiencing God. I have not been asking for that. Maybe you need to be asking for that. Maybe if you notice a distinct gap in what you hear about and what you experience, and you want God to close that gap. You want God to do some unexplainable, unmistakable, unprecedented things in your life. You want to experience God in a way like you've never experienced Him before. Maybe you're here, and you'll say, I'm not a Christian. Just kind of checking out the place. And you would like to, like Angela, start a relationship with God. The last four words of this verse are, in wrath, remember mercy. This reminds me that we are all dependent upon the mercy of God. Because of Jesus, our sins are not counted against us. But he offers us forgiveness and cleanses us and gives us a brand new start. Maybe you would like to pray that God would give you a brand new start and you would put your trust in the mercy and in the grace of God. Let's just close our eyes and pray together. Father, I pray that you would not find us guilty of just not asking because we're surrounded by comfort and we're surrounded by our needs being met. We are self-sufficient. But I pray that you would find the church rising up and asking and seeking and knocking for the fame and the deeds of God to be renewed, to be unmistakably known, to be unexplainable in our lives and in our churches and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families. We pray that the kingdom of God would come. And for those who need to ask, I pray that they would. I pray that they would ask for what you have for them. And for those who need to make a decision to make their lives right with you for the first time or, or, or to get restored with you, I pray that they would do that now in their own words. That I would come to you and say, God, I need you. I confess that I'm a sinner.
acknowledged that Jesus died on the cross for me, took the full punishment of my sin, and was resurrected from the grave and offered us resurrection power to walk in a newness of life, to have the righteousness of Jesus upon us. I pray for those who are making that decision today that you would breathe upon them and that they would be, as your word says, a new creation. Pray that you would do what only you can do and that we would not just be people that have heard about your fame and heard about your deeds, but we would be asking to see the fullness of those in our lives. Lord, that is our prayer and we offer it to you in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, last thing, on the way in, uh, you got a program like this. If you made a decision, uh, you want to follow Jesus, or you made some sort of spiritual decision, uh, I want to just encourage you to, to fill out this connection card, and then you can uh, put it in the buckets on the way out, and then uh, Brad and the team will follow up with you. I just want to say, it has been an enormous privilege to be with you today. Thank you so, so much for having me, and uh, we hope to see you again. Bless you. Have a wonderful week.